This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson. In today's podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Moria Junger, and we'll be discussing healthy sleep, correcting disorders, and rediscovering delights. Moira is the CEO of Sleep Health Foundation and Director of Australian Sleep and Alertness Consortium. She's a registered health psychologist and has been in healthcare as both a nurse and a psychologist for over 30 years. She has been a psychologist specialising in sleeping difficulties and now wants to spend the rest of her career focusing on education, awareness raising and prevention. She's worked clinically within research and within workplace consulting, and Moira co-hosts a podcast called Sleep Talk, Talking All Things Sleep. Welcome to the podcast, Moira. Hi, Amanda. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Oh, it's such a delight to have you. Sleep is such an important thing to all of us, of course. I listened to some of your podcasts with great excitement, enthusiasm, especially the one on lucid dreaming. It was so fascinating. That was a good one, wasn't it? He was a great, especially, yeah, a great guest, the guy from the States. Yeah, all of you are such experts and it's such a comprehensive range of podcasts. Yeah, the topic, I mean, that's sleep for you. It's so diffuse, like it's it's across the lifespan, it's it's at work, it's at home, it's on the roads, you know, road safety, it's it's mental health, it's it's yeah, it's there's so many topics within sleep. It's it's easy to be really broad. Absolutely. It impacts all aspects of our lives, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I'm biased too. You know, I feel like I think it's everything. And people don't really realise until they don't have it how precious it is. I think that tends to be the trend. Oh, I can imagine. Yes, I know I take it for granted a lot. So what led you into being a psychologist and, and particularly in the, the health field of psychology? Yeah, well, it's a... It's a long story. I'll try and be brief. <laughs> but I was a nurse. I'm really enjoying that. It was yes. a fabulous thing. But I probably realised, interestingly, probably part of the shift work, interestingly, was a real, this is back in like late 80s, 1990s. Wow. There was not a lot of flexible rostering. There was not a lot of you know, workplace support, et cetera. But no. I, I did love it. I had great friends. It was very interesting. Big public hospital in Melbourne. Mm. And realised I wanted to do something else, like say psychology, because it was wonderful nine to five hours and, and <laughs> talking to people. It was really interesting. I just that was my strength, really. Like I, I quite liked. I, I was comfortable with the dreadful breaking of terrible news and supporting people. Mm. That was sort of my strength, anyway. So I did this psychology degree, and while I was doing so, the Alfred Hospital where I was opened up its sleep sleep disorder centre in nineteen ninety four. So it was a really great job for me. So I, I, I was a little young sleep technologist, yes. sleep researcher, you know, a junior role there and stayed yeah. for more than five years, loved it, learned a lot and then finished my psychology degree, started, did my doctorate in psychology. And so by the time I finished all that, I had a lot of contacts in the sleep world, a lot of the yeah. doctors and just fell in love with the sleep field. So I was going to conferences so it became an accidental specialty of mine. And I also realised when I was wiring people up, putting electrodes on their head, that if they didn't have a medical problem, you know, like sleep apnea and they got a machine yes. or that, there was not really going to be a lot of, there weren't many things besides medication for their insomnia, 
or other sleep disorders that weren't respiratory related. So I did think, I thought this is a really good area. I need to learn more about it, learn how to treat people non-pharmacologically, so without yep. drugs. Yep. And, and yeah, just sort of self-taught a little bit. Like, you know, a lot of reading, a lot of conferences overseas, a lot of mentors, and then accidentally became a sleep expert. I've never really, I never said I was. <laughs> I didn't set up myself. But then I just yeah. became, people asked me to come and give talks or, you know, got lots of referrals, so thousands of consultations. You, yes, you do yes. become kind of a, across your subject. Yeah, so that was that's how I became a psychologist and, and particularly interested in sleep, amongst other things. Like I've got lots of clients who sleep well, actually, when I was a full-time clinician. Health psychology is, is, is across everything, like and, and sleep yes. is across everything. So it's, it was a really natural fit. And what a journey that's made you such a, a thorough expert from nursing to psychology and with sleep and patients who can sleep as well. It's a great overview that you have on the clinical and physiological, pharmacological, psychological, all these aspects that make up people's yeah. problems and sleep problems. Yeah. And it sounds like you became really passionate about it. Is that because you can see the results that you get and the modalities get? Yeah, absolutely. I think because I love sleep myself yeah. and I happen to be a really good sleeper, but I've had times when I'm not. And, and yeah. those times when you're not, I just think, oh, it's so awful. Like my your whole worldview is different, mm. how you get through the day, how grumpy you are or not your confidence even or, you know, all sorts of things. So I feel a lot of empathy or, you know, I just think these people who have poor sleep all the time yeah. sort of feel really impassioned to, to support them. So and it's funny, yeah, my friends from school, I've got this core group really from, you know, 40 years ago really from year seven onwards as a group of five or so of us that still catch up every now and then. And they think it's hilarious that I've got this <laughs> senior role in sleep because I you always did value your sleep. <laughs> Sleepovers. I was the one. I just couldn't do the all nighter. I yeah. sleep about one or two. It was my just always value. Yeah, as a family too, we were sort of taught, you know, very much yeah. to value sleep. And it's just, yeah, it's it's no surprise really in a way that it's such an important part of health. It's been it has been ignored. It mm. certainly has been ignored until recently. And even now, it's even though we've got a we've got lots of information, lots of research, lots of talk about it. There's lots of people who are really skimming off their sleep for in for their entertainment, for, for you know more yeah. Netflix, for work, and then of course, I mean, fifty percent of people who don't sleep well, it's not their own fault. It's just like a sleep disorder, etc. But fifty percent wow. is just sort of you know not valuing it, staying up a bit too late, trying to do too much, you know, sacrificing sleep for for mostly for work or for you know other things, gaming. Wow. So that leads into what I was wondering was something that you were concerned about. It's, I guess gaming, screen use in the bedroom, in the bed. Yeah. Yeah. It's really exploded. I think it was sort of, it was building up and then COVID has exploded all that, like mm. the boundaries between work and home or, you know, or entertainment and sleep in, in the bedroom. Yes. The bedroom, you know, were we working at home or were we yeah. living at work? All that sort of stuff has been more disruption for to sleep mm. and people generally going to bed a bit later yeah. and having more disturbed sleep, particularly really poor habits. Yeah. So I'm 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 really the, I'm, I'm the eternal optimist. I think that people can get better habits pretty quickly, hopefully, and get mm. back to their old selves with with sleep. I mean, a lot of people still sleep well, 
let's face, you know, but probably at least half the population doesn't sleep well on any given night. And that's quite alarming for it us. Is. Yeah, so, it, so there's there's no shortage of education. I think education and awareness raising is the key thing that we want to do at the Sleep Health Foundation. Yeah, And we don't want to be sort of pious and preachy about it as mm. well because it doesn't go very well. You know, behaviour change is no one wants to be told what to do. No. People need to educate themselves, become their own agent in, in learning the value of sleep, learning how to do it better, learning the effects that it has on them. And, and it's a lot of individual variation. Yeah. You know, some people are okay on six or seven hours and most people need sort of anywhere between seven and nine per 24 hours. Right. And then occasionally there's people who feel like they need 10 or 11, which yes. is, seems a bit extreme as well. But so anywhere between 6 through to 11 is may be considered appropriate, mm. but the 7 to 9 is, is, sort of, is typical and, and average. And there's very clear evidence that people who routinely get less than six hours sleep or routinely need more than 11, that is associated with, you know, poorer outcomes, like more yeah. morbidity, more mortality. Mm-hmm. So being sicker and dying younger. So... Mm. It's very, very clear, but we don't like, we like to talk more in solutions when we're talking about sleep yes. rather than ramming down, you know, scary statistics. <laughs> and as you said, across the lifespan, people vary in the amount of sleep they need. I think teenagers need yeah. a lot, don't they? Yeah, that's right. And I mean, well, babies need the most. And yes. Then, and then, you know, smaller children and then teenagers still need about nine or so, but mm. very, if you do a show of hands at the moment across, you know, teenage groups, they're not getting anywhere near what they need. Ooh. And that was even before COVID. And I would say I've been around long enough, you know, talking to teenagers even before we had the handheld devices. Yeah. So talking to school groups in the early 2000s, for instance, well before we had the smartphone and the, and the gadgets in the bedroom. So it's just sort of, it's, it's more, it's not just the technology. It's probably biological as well. That they, they, Melatonin rhythm is slightly, is delayed compared mm-hmm. to when they were younger. And there is a delayed, it's common about, you know, I think 10% of the population of the teenagers do have a, a biological issue with their, their melatonin rhythm just is delayed by two hours, four hours. Yeah. So it's not their fault. It's not just, but that's why they're wanting to see, you know, stay up late. Mm. It's also a time of pushing back a bit on, you know, parents and yes. wanting to maintain a bit of independence. So as long as, I think just edu- yeah, education is the key. So we will talk to kids about the benefits of sleep. Mm. For, if beauty and all the things that they that's yeah. important to them <laughs> and that, that planning that they can be their own agent like planning a bit just just plan to get one more extra hour tonight yeah. or perhaps five extra hours across the week see what happens see what you've you know take keep a little diary see how you feel so rather yeah. than you know don't do this and don't do that and that it's we all know that's not going to work no, no, it's engaging them, isn't it, in yeah. a positive way? And yeah. as you say, in your family, the the education about sleep isn't isn't that great? Wouldn't it be wonderful if it became a priority in families to talk about how we're getting better sleep and we're functioning better and we're healthier mm. and mm. Mm. happier? Absolutely, yeah. And and it's just, I mean, we happen to be sort of morning types, but there can be people who are night owls who still sleep well, but they just it might be just you know one in the morning until seven thirty or eight yeah. or something like that, right? Which is very hard in our society because we're all pre-programmed to have to get to school or get to mm. work at a reasonable hour. So I'm do I do hope one of the fallouts or the, or the benefits of the COVID 
you know, period of restrictions, et cetera, is that flexible work mm. has been shown to, that it's, it's okay, that we should, we should be as flexible as we possibly can be. You know? Well, yes, the Australian Psychological Society is saying that hybrid works here to stay. Yes. And that includes flexibility, of course. And Absolutely. You yeah. would hear, as I hear from patients who are night owls, that being able to get to work, get to the port of work, which is their computer, after after waking up 15 minutes earlier, (laughs) is a great benefit. Absolutely. People have saved, you know, a couple of hours a day, Mm. you know, in in not having to commute and being able to, yeah, to sleep in. Like a lot of clients I've had over the years, if only they could start work at 10, they'd be fine. Yes. And here we are. We're in that era that, yeah, you probably can do that. You can just tell, you know, and particularly if you're self-employed, yeah. You just don't take clients before a certain time and they don't have to know what the reason is. You can, it's no, none of their business. It could be related to your health, could be your children, could be just, could be that, you know, someone, some other permanent people have booked those spots. No one seems to know, no one needs to know why you're starting so late and why that eight o'clock is not available to them. Yes. Even if they want to book six months ahead. <laughs> exactly. Let's hope it's here to stay, this flexibility. Yes. yes. And, look, you caught my attention in the media recently when you spoke of sleep inertia. Very fascinating concept. Yes, yes. That's a, it's interesting that people love the ears pricked up with, you know, mm. the, the word sleep inertia, which has been around as long as I've known. Like, you, oh. know, I've been, you, know, you know, probably the 80s, 90s, it's been just documented, maybe even before that. So sleep inertia, as as the word implies, you feel quite inert. You, know, yes. you can't move and you feel really trapped. I've experienced it for sure, not very often, mm. but it was it's quite frightening when you, you just think, oh, I feel like I'm, I've had yeah. this sleep, but I feel worse than when I went to bed. I feel yeah. like I'm really, you know, sedative, like a, mm. I can't, like an anaesthetic or that you've woken up prematurely from an anaesthetic and you just yeah. can't get going. And in my case, it's never lasted more than, say, five or ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Some people have, it's dreadful, they, they takes an hour, you know, half an hour like for them to actually wake up properly in the morning. Yeah. So sleep inertia, it's quite a s- discreet, significant thing. And a lot of what other people think when they're just feeling yeah. tired and they just don't want to get up, that's not necessarily yeah. sleep inertia. <laughs> it's just sometimes you just feel really, you're just underdone. You haven't, you have just haven't had restorative sleep and you're feeling mm-hmm. pretty unmotivated and you yeah. maybe you're coming down with a, something or you just got the winter blues and you just think, I don't want to get up, it's dark, you know, the snooze yeah. button, etc. So that's the sort of, it's not really sleep inertia. Sleep inertia is more, probably a bit more dramatic than that. Like you really, you really yes. can't even move your legs or you just, you don't know where you are. Sometimes oh, you, wow. yeah, you can't get going. Or that's extreme. People can move around still, but they just feel yeah. like a very heavy fog and, a, you know, a cognitive decline or you know you just think I just don't know yeah yeah you wouldn't be able to work you wouldn't be able to function like you shouldn't couldn't get onto a call like this and start your work you'd Mm. have to just you know so you know give it another half an hour or a very you know get exercise will help like getting up and exercising Mm -hmm. being able to sleep in a little bit more if you can yeah I was just thinking as we were saying for those night owls they would suffer sleep inertia Yes, if they had to suddenly. Yeah, what you saw in the media, the, the journalist who wrote that, mm. she suffers from sleep yes. inertia. So she was very interested in the topic. And yeah. if only she could just, she's got young children, she's got a oh. busy job, if only she could just sleep in a bit longer, mm. which one day she will, like those, you know, those little kids will grow up and she'll be able to, she won't have that experience. I'm sure she'll just be able to sleep to her more natural rhythm. Yes. 
So to explain it, I think it's people waking out of rhythm. Yeah, waking, exactly, waking in out of a a deep part of your sleep, whereas generally when you're sleeping properly within your own rhythm, you will probably you will go through all the various stages and you'll wake up out of light sleep. Like you're pretty mm. much you've done all your bits and pieces and you're in a you're in the light sleep phase. So it's you wake more easily, you make yeah. you wake more naturally, more readily. But if you're waking from the deep sleep, you probably really have only had half, you know, you've only had maybe four or five four hours. Mm. And you really should be doing more. But it's yeah, it's a difficult situation if you're not able to control due to social demands and things yeah. out of your like work or children or or your own health, for instance. You sometimes people don't always have the luxury mm. of sleeping to their own rhythm. So, you know, we urge all this talk about sleep. A lot of focus is on the individual level. Yes, but we at the Sleep Health Foundation and someone like you know health psychologists, we just you want to really factor in those other environmental factors, even policy, government level, Mm. that there's a lot of other factors that are at play, that it's not just the individual needing to do a bit more meditation or or to lay off the caffeine and booze. (laughs) You know, there's it's a whole of society factors, which we, yeah, that's why the education, that's why I'm talking, you know, I talk all day, I talk all day about sleep to to whoever wants to talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and at a high, you know, at a, sometimes, you know, we're lobbying federal government at the moment. Or, you know, and wonderful podcasts like this where anyone listening, just they're just interested in their health yes. and they're interested in such an important topic. And so for those people who, for reasons often beyond their control, as you're saying, can't get the full rhythms of sleep and they're, they're getting sleep inertia, can they catch up on sleep, say, on a weekend? This is a tricky one. The party line is that you can't catch up on sleep. Right. But you you can get some recovery sleep in which you mm. you get a better you know you get better quality like you yes. sleep in a little bit. The tricky thing about sleeping in on the weekend and catching up is that best sleep like really good sleep and really good patterns are around routines mm. and doing pretty much the same thing plus or minus an hour like seven days a week. Yeah. So it's it's difficult for those people who are perhaps getting up at five during the week mm. that to sleep until 1 p.m. on a weekend, yeah. that's going to really upset the apple cart for sure, you know. So so the general you know, general gist of things, even if you're a shift worker, is wherever possible keep your routines going. Right. And, and pretty much seven, you know, 24-7. Yeah. Even in a rotating shift, like sort of keep doing what you do for mm-hmm. what you do on a morning shift and what you do on an evening shift, just try and just stick to your routines within even within the rotations. So, yeah, routine is key and, and people know that with their babies Yes, and how important that. But we forget when we're older and they're at yeah. school and they're all more independent, we all forget that we need to actually try and keep the trouble, that, trouble with routines is that it's not very fun. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, you don't you want to be a bore and you don't want to yes. people feel like, oh, gosh, I'm living like my parents and I'm only 29. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't want they, people like to have the flexibility of, you know, going out during the week and so it's, it's just probably more so don't it's not don't don't have fun mm. just be aware of your own sleep need and how you function on x amount and that getting up in the morning at a reasonably you know it's routine time and exposing yourself to the light and building your sleep need so if you're someone who wants eight hours you've got to be awake for 16 yeah so if you're sleeping through to 1 p.m how are you going to get your 16 hours of sleep pressure mm. you know your sleep might it'll be delayed so 
there's lots of benefits of getting up early because it means you can get back into bed earlier sometimes <laughs> in, terms of, <laughs> in terms of building up your sleep, you know, your sleep pressure and building your sleep need. Brilliant. So in terms of real disorders, sleeping disorders, what are some of the most common ones or difficult ones that you see? Yeah, the most common one around the world, or well, let's talk about Australia, is insomnia. Mm. And we'll talk about the second most common is obstructive sleep apnea. Yeah. And the third most common would be restless leg syndrome. Mm. And then there's all sorts of, there's lots of other sleep problems that are very debilitating too, like shift work disorder, mm. hypersomnia, people with idiopathic hypersomnia or narcolepsy, which means they can't get refreshed as an excessive sleepiness or excessive sleep. And they might sleep, you know, will feel like sleeping 16, 17 hours a day and still not be refreshed. So it's very debilitating, I think, yeah. sometimes probably more so than insomnia. So the insomnia, people often mistake, a bit like depression, people say, oh, I'm so depressed today, but they don't actually understand it's not depression, like yeah. the full-blown capital D. And I often talk about capital I or you know, yes. lowercase i, insomnia. Yep. So you don't really have insomnia if you just, it has to be at least most, you know, most days of the week for several months, depending on the classification mm-hmm. system, either three months or six months. Has to be despite adequate opportunity for sleep. Yeah. So you actually, so that's, it can't be due to, you know, another disorder or medication or, you know, other substances. And it's, also, the important thing is that it has to have marked, just causes you marked impairment mm-hmm. and or distress, particularly you know, occupational functioning, social functioning. What else? I think that's sort of, and it can be either initiating sleep and or maintaining sleep and or waking up too early. Yeah. Some people have the whole, you know, and then and the whole thing is that you're not restored. Whatever sleep you've had, you don't feel very refreshed or restored. That's very debilitating. Like I, I've never had insomnia, capital I. Yeah. And the, the insomnia I have had, which is sometimes even say two weeks at a time, mm-hmm. it's so awful. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so awful. So I'd hate to think when people have it, you know, everyone I've seen clinically, it's been not just the three or six months. We never have to look at the criteria. It's been years. You yes. know, it's been sometimes decades. Yeah. Like a woman would come sit down and say, oh, it's been since my daughter was born. I think, mm, this woman's like, at least 60 something yeah so it's been like 40 years and and back 40 years ago there wasn't the help available no. there wasn't an understanding of of sleep and a lot of people were often it was around perhaps you know postnatal depression but the sleep part never really came back mm-hmm. even though the, the, the depression was sort of fixed yeah so the insomnia and then obstructive sleep apnea is very very debilitating as well that most people have with sleep apnea are loud snorers Right. But not everyone who's a loud snorer has sleep apnea. Ah. But everyone pretty much who has sleep apnea is pretty much a loud snorer. Right. And the main thing is that we either witnessed apneas, like sort of the apnea means the Latin word for absence of breathing. Right. So these these sort of gasps or periods of not breathing and then a choking sound as the person breathes again. Yeah. And that can be very disturbing for them. But they don't know because they're asleep. But they'll wake up with a headache or wake up with a dry mouth or sore throat. And the, the hallmark symptom really is that they're excessively sleepy. Ah, so yeah. really feel like, gee, I feel like not just t- tired and sleepy, like you'd yeah. fall asleep in meetings, fall asleep watching the news or, or movies you actually want to watch. And not so no one should be that sleepy. Like we, So if you're a snorer plus sleepy, and someone has said, look, I've, I've, I've got pretty frightened. I, I saw you not breathe last night. Yeah. That person needs to talk to their GP 
and talk, you know, and have a think. I think I might have sleep apnea. Have a look at the fact sheets on the Sleep Health Foundation website. We've got lots of different fact sheets on, on snoring, sleep apnea, Great. a whole range of topics. We've got 97 different fact sheets on, on so many topics across the lifespan. How wonderful. Yeah, it's really good resources for people to have a look at. So, and restless legs is interesting. I, I didn't know I had restless legs. That was a spontaneous thing that came up. Yeah, wow. like limb movements. I, I just had a sleep study many years ago for someone, a friend, you know, who was testing out his equipment in a new sleep lab. Yeah. So I've roped in my family and, you know, I've got these free sleep studies. And I have this thing called periodic limb movements during sleep. And my wow. my legs are restless when I'm tired. So I had these sort of my legs, my lower limbs were moving periodically and f- precluding me from getting really good quality sleep. Wow. And I was really sleepy at that time. It was probably 10 years ago. You know, the kids were, I had you know, youngish kids. I was working full time. I was trying to be all things to all people. And I mm. was very, very sleepy, actually. I was tired. I mean, this is ironic, giving sleep talks and things. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just thought, that's interesting. So I went on, had some, you know, medical advice and my iron and ferritin was low. Right. So I got that fixed up, got a lot fitter. And I don't believe I have it anymore. Like, it's, I feel like it's well controlled anyway. So that's interestingly, if someone like me, who's now the CEO of the Sleep Health and didn't know that she had that. Yes. It's worth, it's just really worth people thinking about getting their sleep checked out for sure for, for these underlying sleep disorders. But of course, we were beyond sleep disorders too. The sleep health means anything over and above the sleep disorders, like the general mm. sleep health of everyone. Yes. Not just the, the sleep ill health, you know, try, trying to keep everyone healthy and educated and aware of their sleep and their sleep patterns. And even more now, so I would have thought, well, we've got pandemics and the need for health and stay yes. healthy to to endure. Absolutely. And, yeah, the pandemic really disrupted mm. the way we live and work. And, the, yeah, as I said earlier, that the boundaries are not as clear between work and home and, and unwinding and, yeah. you know, switching off. I know that for myself, like working from home, it's mm. it's just, you know, you sneak in a bit more work than you should be doing into the evening, Yeah, I think. So so sort of yeah, really encourage people to have buffer buffer zones that you just have really clear boundaries around finishing work and unwinding, well, probably mm. minimum one to two hours of unwinding, and you're just more likely to get much better sleep quality. So mm. go, go back to 1985 style where, you, you know, you probably, there was the TV used to have test pattern. Remember? Yes. <laughs> at night, at late at night there was no TV or, yeah. you know, probably could have watched DVDs. There's just so much temptation now to stay up a lot later. There's a lot of really good entertainment. Yeah. And competing and the lights. Like, gosh, we could talk all day. But, you know, dim, I would encourage people to dim the lights mm-hmm. in the pre-bed period to just to encourage melatonin to be secreted because yeah. it needs our eyes need dark conditions for the melatonin to be secreted and you know to pick up via the optic nerve that that it's dark and that it's sleep time but we've been a lot of us you know been putting ourselves into quite light conditions yes. and a lot of stimulation which delays the sleep rhythm and, and disrupts the apple cart so one to two hours of wind down time where yeah. lights are less no screens yes. Yeah, no screens is if you if you are on a screen, make sure you've got the orange glow that that helps with you know not the blue light that's mm-hmm. coming out of it. A lot of phones and stuff have that as a standard these days. Yeah, I wouldn't put TV in the in screen. People get confused. I think there's I think years. Ago, in fact, I must update the Sleep Health Foundation. I think we still talk about TVs. They're the lesser of all the evils because yes. if it's not handheld, if it's the old fashioned TV that's actually on the wall yeah. or across the room. 
it, you'll see if you're in a dark room, it doesn't light up, it doesn't put the light in your eyes. You, you've got a, yeah. quite a bit of distance from it. But these handheld devices or a screen like a laptop, you're very close to it and mm-hmm. your eyes, you are getting the light in your eyes, which is suppressing your melatonin. So it's, it's the TV's okay, but you know, books and yeah, music and music conversation it's, and you know, but yeah, TV's fine. I think wow. particularly when it's not handheld and not in the bed. And I also saw some comments you made about an article that was in The Guardian about perhaps the eight hours a day is a myth and that really, as you're saying, individual sleep patterns are what people need to find out about for themselves. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's a bit you you get criticised sometimes It's it's because everyone doesn't want people to, if I'm publicly saying, oh, I don't worry about it, six hours is fine. It's not quite the message. No. But but the message is very clear that not everyone does need eight hours. Yeah. But the message is very clear to get adequate sleep. So whatever that means for you, and it's not going to be less than six. I can tell you that for free. Yeah. Less than six routinely as I, is associated with poorer health outcomes and a lot of comorbidity. Mm. So I think, you know, embrace, like, enjoy getting at least seven, you know, have build it up over time to perhaps think, oh, maybe I could get eight. Yes. And depending on how you feel with that, but, you know, experiment, a lot of behavioural experimentation that people as grown adults or even emerging adult teenagers to experiment with their sleep need and to know it's a really high priority in the same way that smoking, we we didn't know necessarily when we were sunbathing in the 1970s. We thought my parents, used to, <laughs> we thought it was a healthy sign when we had a tan. And, I know. You, know. you only put on a long sleeve once you were burnt. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's a bit like, you know, be educated that the longer term problems is getting poor. Like people say, oh, I'm fine. I get four or five. I'm fine. Yeah. Believe me that the longer term outcomes are not going to be as good on that. You need to get a higher amount. Yes. No human, you know, very few. I mean, there are a tiny amount of people who, you know, genetically don't need a lot of sleep, but I haven't, of course, I haven't met them because no. I, meet people with, <laughs> I, I meet people who are struggling who do need more sleep. Yes, yeah, so I think just, yeah, I, I just encourage people to learn to not get too ritualistic and anxious about yes. sleep, but by the same token, have it as a very high health priority yep. and learn to learn to fall in love with it again. I mean, it's such a soothing balm. Like when you get good sleep, it's a very self-care. It's a huge part of, you know, it's nurturing yourself for free. The best thing about sleep is it's for free. And it's so... so you have to pay like a massage or a facial. <laughs> It is, and, and it's it, as you said, the the benefits in terms of energy, looks, yes, physical appearance, health in other areas of health, and it's so important that it restores our cells. Yeah. It's it's flushing oh, out it, toxins. It's doing all uh, kinds yes, of things. It does all these amazing, you know, house housekeeping. Yes, yeah. It, it's. I think people. I mean, we know that you do. You know, you look and feel better. And you're a better person, mm. living a better life. You're a better leader. There's lots of good information around leadership and sleep, and you know the, the bosses and how how they're sort of what they're what's trickling down to the organisation, depending on how well they lead their sleep. So it's oh, of course, because really they're not cranky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. People and, and making better decisions mm. and being more inclusive. So it's, it's. I mean, I. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't need, I think everyone listening knows the benefits of sleep yeah. for them, but they might be concerned perhaps about people close to them that maybe aren't taking it as seriously. Yes. I would always be optimistic and think 
it's a bit like quitting smoking. Like even if you've smoked for 40 years, yeah. it's not too late. You know, no. it's never too late to quit. And similarly, if you have been a really poor sleeper or haven't, you know, it's never too late to change your patterns. Yes. Because it will, particularly as you get older, like the, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s plus, the better, the gooder, the, the gooder, the people <laughs> who are sleeping better <laughs> will have less risk of dementia. Yes. Less cognitive decline. The, the cognitive decline will be slowed. Yep. And similarly, with the, you know, moving your body more, all the stuff mm-hmm. we know about moving your body more, but we want to insert those messages that it's, Equally important to be getting adequate sleep or supplementing with napping if you if you are struggling with sleep and don't get enough. Experiment with little twenty minute naps here and there. Yes, they'll be. That's a really good way to, to supplement your sleep. Doesn't replace good sleep at night, but if if people can't get good sleep at night for various reasons, yeah, and I'm talking you know chronic health conditions, new babies, yes, work schedules, etc., just to 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 make sure that they nap. But not napping as in like sleeping four hours in the afternoon, like little 20 minute naps. Yes. Well, like the billboards say with the like power naps of road safety messages. Yeah. Those shorter naps are actually so you don't get into sleep inertia. Yes. If so you wake up, yeah. So if you wake up after you know, 20, 30 minutes, you're more likely to be in deep sleep and have that groggy, I yes. don't know, disorientation. I don't know what I'm doing, where I am. Yeah. So the short little power naps, less than 20 minutes or so, mm-hmm. are fabulous for, for our health and our energy and just getting through, you know, maybe that transitioning to you've had a big day at work yes. and you've got to go out to that thing tonight, you know, experiment. They have a little tiny nap if, if you can. Good or tip. Just, or, or lie there and just rest without your phone. Yes. And yeah. and in terms of getting back into loving sleep, I think now's the reset time that people can mm. take this time of the pandemic slowing down, lockdowns, a thing of the past, that we can look at our bedrooms and make them nurturing places at the lighting, as you said, fix all of that and make them inviting. Yes, exactly. Somewhere you want to be mm. and you've got a really strong association that, ah, oh, this is my safe haven. Yes. This is where I get restored. This is where I, you know, and, and I deserve it. Like it's, yeah. you know, self-esteem mm. and so, you know, I, I need to put all that stress to the side just for eight hours. Yes. Pick it up again tomorrow, but I need to, and I have to do that myself. Like yep. I've got this busy job mm. now and, you know, a lot of self-doubt. So oh, am I doing the right thing? And like, that's busy. And, and, and I just have to put it, I just have learned. You, yes. you think you'd hope I've got good strategies. <laughs> I've learned to yes. just, I have to park it. I have to just let it go. And, and learn to sleep and, and pick it all up tomorrow. And it is a big job, as you say, and it's an inaugural CEO position. And, yes. and it came about because it's Australia's leading advocate for healthy sleep, this Sleep Health Foundation that you're running. So how did, yes. how did the position come about? Well, it, I was on the board of the Sleep Health Foundation for five and a half years and I had to, had to get off the board at six years maximum. Mm. So I was looking down the barrel of leaving my beloved Sleep Health Foundation and mm-hmm. it's never had a CEO, didn't have a lot of yes. I the money really to do, right. to have that kind of, to have the staff and we had an executive officer in Sydney three days a week, but the rest of us were just an operational board, yes. like just doing the work on the side. For free. Go home, go home with our full-time yeah. jobs and for free and that's what I loved yes. and I was, would have kept doing. So this, they we just restructured things, we could, with ASAC being part of, you know, on the director of that. So there's a sort of combined the funding a little bit so we could actually restructure to have a CEO role. Mm-hmm. Ring, I just, I thought I'm going to go for that. I didn't think I'd get it, but I, I was successful. And luckily it was a competitive field, yeah. I, they tell me. 
I think just my passion for the area yes. and, a, and a deep knowledge of sleep. Oh, yeah. Plus I've run my own business. It was mm-hmm. tiny, you know, 15 people. But, you know, my clinic I've run for 20-something years. So I do know about how to run an organisation. Mm. And I do know how to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I like talking. I like relationships. And I think maybe the CEO role is perfect for yes. me in that way. So the Sleep Health Foundation is Australia's leading advocate for healthy sleep. It aims to improve people's lives by promoting sleep, raising awareness of sleep disorders, building partnerships with organisations, and people can donate to the Sleep Health Foundation as a call to action, as you say, and they could go to, where would they go to to donate? I would love them to have a look at our website, which is sleephealthfoundation.org.au, or just put in, you know, just Google or just put into your, you know, whatever thing, yeah. Sleep Health Foundation. And there is a Donate Now button or they can just put in Donation if it's not easy to see, but it's the top right-hand corner of, of that. And I think we really do call for people who are looking for a cause, particularly, you know, end of financial year or any time of the year really, yep. for this, you know, for a tax-deductible donation. And the, the money will definitely go into help building better resources you know, even me building a team of, you know, social media because we're all we're working really off, you know, a lot of volunteers yes. and, you know, the operational board still. But, you know, helping with mostly the resources that we that we have, our, improving the website, improving me being able to have the time to go and do more talks and all that sort of stuff. Travel to Canberra for some advocacy and just putting really putting our faces under the policy. Are you aware of how important this is and and we can help with some changes, we've got some solutions, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, really encourage people to to have a – we'd be so grateful because we haven't yet got government funding, even though we ask every year, every single year, and we will. I'm sure it will come. It takes a long time to, you know, to build the evidence, build your case for funding. Yeah. So we're in that phase. So we need you know, money for that is great. Even even two dollars, you know, any anything at all. Yes. But you know, would be so gratefully, you know, because we've been around more than ten years. But this is the first year that we've actually had you know, this full time CEO role, where you know I've got the time and the energy and mm. to, to to go out, be more visible, build more partnerships, talk more, and reach more people. Because that's that's what we, we basically want to reach more people who are maybe not knowing sleep's important mm. or having some trouble and then can get some information from us and, or, you know, one of us can come and talk at the workplace about sleep or at your wellbeing day. Fantastic. You know, just know, knowing that Sleep Health Foundation exists and yeah. that we're super, super keen for community education, awareness raising, you know, community political advocacy, trying to do more for people with sleep disorders which so we're building it. We we we, we will get better and better as, as we go. What a fantastic resource for Australia to have, and all Australians can go to the website at sleephealthfoundation.org.au to see all the resources that are there, all those fact sheets and wonderful resources. And Moira, lastly, I'm asking all my guests these days, what makes you psyched for life? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. Definitely my family, like my beloved, just, just, they make me psyched. Like, you know, just the human beings who I love just give me a lot of energy. And not only the human beings, but the, the nature. Yeah. Like being at the beach, mm. being in the ocean, being in a, you know, mountains, trees, like it just really injects a lot of joy. So I think that, yeah, I would say that gives me a 
feeling of being psyched for life and a restoration. Beautiful. And of course, I can't, and sleep. Yes. <laughs> sleep, sleep makes me, gives me a feeling of being psyched for life. Beautiful. Moira, thank you so much for being such an informative and fun guest to have on this podcast. My absolute pleasure. I've had a really nice conversation, Amanda, and thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to to talk about sleep. Oh, look, thank you so much for your time and expertise, and hopefully one day we'll have you back on discussing another aspect of sleep. Absolutely, yeah, thank for you. sure. That would yeah, be good luck. Yeah. Oh. Well, good luck promoting and this very worthy foundation that Australia has and is lucky to have. And to locate a psychologist in your area, call the Australian Psychological Society and access Find a Psychologist service on 1800 333 or visit www.findapsychologist.org.au to seek a psychologist experienced in sleep issues and if in crisis, Lifeline is available 13 11 14 24 7. As Moira said, see your GP if you need to be or may need to be referred to a sleep clinic for further studies. Thank you again so much, Moira. Thanks, Amanda. If anything discussed in this podcast has caused you concern or distress, contact your general practitioner or health provider. To locate a psychologist in your area, call the Australian Psychological Society and locate Find a Psychologist Service on 1800 397 or visit www.findapsychologist.org.au. If you or someone you know is in crisis, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13 11 14 and Kids Helpline, again 24-7, on 1800-55-1800 and both are free of charge. To find out more about me, please visit my website, dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes. The opinions expressed by guests in these podcasts aren't necessarily shared by me.